0: Well, if you have your Bibles, let's look at uh, Genesis chapter 25, Genesis 25, we're going to be finishing up uh, chapter 25 this morning, and uh, we're going to start with verse 27, and the title of my message is, uh, Living Your Life by the Flesh, and the Consequences in Doing That. Um, this this message, this uh text this morning that we're going to be looking at is is going to be uh, divided up into two sections. Uh, verses 27 and 28 we'll be looking at the striking contrast between the two to two brothers, Esau and Jacob and in verses 29 through 34 we're going to look at the shameful exchange that occurs in the text. so beginning with verse, 27, the Bible says this. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew... Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. The consequences of living in your, in your flesh being controlled by your fleshly desires. You know when we when we operate within the flesh we have a tendency of forfe- forfeiting what really matters most in our life. And we see this played out in Esau's life. I don't want you to miss the emphasis of the text here. The emphasis of the text is in verse 34. Esau despised his birthright. Because Esau despised his birthright, we are going to watch this be played out in the next ten chapters or so of Esau's life. He was so close to the blessing. He was so close to the spiritual promise and yet, in his flesh, it mattered more what was going on in his gut than what mattered most in his life. And so, I want to look first at the striking uh, contrast between these two brothers. Um, you know, we looked at, uh, at the towards the end of the message last week about um, what was going on inside of... Uh, Rebecca's womb. I mean, she, her, her womb was just being turned upside down and she inquired of the Lord, what's going on here? And the Lord shared with her without having, having to take Rebecca through a, a sonogram or anything of this nature. God knew that there were twin boys in her womb. And that they would be struggling with each other all the days of their life. And that uh, the younger would be grabbing the what the older would have. And yet God in his sovereignty was going to uh, bless the younger rather than the older. It was the younger. It was the second who was going to receive the inheritance and uh, would be the child of promise where the seed would continue through Jacob's line. So Rebecca learned this uh, last week as we looked at that passage, but uh, now the boys are older and I'm sure that they have been struggling, they've been fighting each other all the days. It kind of reminds me of me and my brother. My my my, bro- my mother had her hands full raising uh, me and my brother. We were we were constantly fighting. Now we're not doing that today, okay, as grown adults. But uh, I knew how to press my brother's buttons, <laughs> and so he was constantly getting back with me. And there were many occasions where my mother was separating us boys with a broomstick and i'm sure rebecca was feeling this same kind of attention uh, with with her with her sons so here first we see esau now they're grown men and uh, esau is uh, the bible describes him as a skillful hunter he's a man of the field I think he reminds me of Bryce Johnson. Some of you know uh, our former Minister of Education, Scott Johnson. He had a, he had a son that uh, he constantly loved to be out in the field hunting things and he would bring snakes home to his mother (laughs) but uh, uh, he just loved the outdoors and he was good friends with my my son and some other boys and when they got into high school they they loved to go camping together and my son Trevor would always say but as long as we have Bryce, we're going to be okay. Because he knows what game to kill and he knows what game to cook. And, uh, and so here we see Esau here and he reminds me of Bryce. But he was a man of the field. Uh, the Bible describes him as Harry. Uh, his name is Esau, which uh, the name Esau in the Hebrew sounds a lot like the word Red. And uh, he was hairy, he was reddish, and uh, he was just a rugged-looking individual. He was an outdoorsman. He was a hunter. He was a man's man. If a Harley Davidson was around at that time, he probably would have been riding a Harley Davidson. You know, he was just that kind of guy. You would want him on your survivor team. But he was probably a rather intimidating figure, uh, to Jacob, who was, uh, always taking advantage of his, um, of his younger twin. So this is, this is Esau. And then we see Jacob. Jacob, his birth is descriptive of his life. If you go back to, um, verse 24 it says this and when her days to give birth were completed behold there were twins in her, in her womb and the first came out red this is Esau all of his body like a hairy cloak so they called him called, him, his, called his name Esau and afterward his brother came out with a hand holding Esau's heel So his name was called Jacob. He came out holding the heel of his older twin. And this is just descriptive of Jacob's life. Uh, He's known as the grabber. He's known as the manipulator. He's the one that wants first place. He's in second place, but he wants first place. He's He's cunning. He's looking for the advantage. He's a thinker. He's conscientious. You know, oftentimes I've heard Jacob described as um, the mama boy. You know, he was the domesticated one. And uh, he was always in the kitchen. and, And he was mama's favorite. But I think it's unfair to label Jacob... As a mama's boy, I mean, he was Jacob. Was a shrewd businessman. He knew how to raise flocks. He was really good at husbandry. Uh, but he was, he was, he was, a, he was a businessman. He was a successful rancher. He was a planner. He was a schemer. And uh, if chess was around at this point, he probably would have been really good at chess. Always five or six moves ahead of his older twin. And so this describes Jacob's life. And so this is what we read in verse 27. And, uh, And then verse 28, the Bible says, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game but Rebecca loved Jacob. Uh, Here we see the dangerous recipe between a mom and a dad. They played favorites. It's never a good idea, mom and dad, that we play favorites with our children. And uh, these parents had favorites. And the Bible says that... uh, that Isaac loved Esau because of, uh, of the game that uh, he had tasted. Isaac loved I, Isaac loved Jake, uh, Esau because of what Esau could do for his dad. And the Bible says that Rebekah loved Jacob. But uh, there was always preferential treatment going on in this family between the two boys and it was a dysfunctional family but i want you to be encouraged this morning you know all the families are dysfunctional in one way or the other there is no perfect family family in the bible but we see god working through imperfect families imperfect people for his plan and his purpose to be carried out but uh, here we see um, the striking contrast between boys and the, the division that it created between a mom and dad in verses 27 and 28 and in verses 29 through 34 we see the shameful exchange We see what happens when one lives according to the flesh. You exchange righteousness for cheap pleasure. When you choose to live according to the temporal, have your desires fulfilled according to the temporal miss my friend what matters most in your life and so we see this in uh, these verses this morning Uh, verse 29 uh, we see esau coming in from the field once verse 29 says once when jacob was cooking esau came in from the field and he was exhausted esau is in a vulnerable position He's hungry. He's starving to death. Now, I'm not sure that he was starving to the death where he was literally going to die, but he was starving to death. It's kind of like my son Kyle. One time he he liked to say when he was starving, I'm so starved, I'm going to lose my breath. Well, that was Esau in this passage of Scripture. He was famished. And he saw his brother's stew, and uh, he wanted what his his brother was cooking. And I just want to encourage us at this point. You know, we're we're all at a point where we're either exhausted spiritually, emotionally, or physically. And we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable to temptation. And let me just encourage you, not that in those vulnerable states, that we don't just quickly choose the temporal over the eternal and fall to temptation. This is where Esau is. And he sees his brother stew, and he says, "Give me that stew. I want to eat that stew." He's rather uh, demanding. And uh, Jacob has made this stew, and again, we we know from Jacob's life that Jacob is a calculating, um, scheming individual. He knows that his brother is going to be coming into the. From the field, and Jacob prepares a stew that he knows his fo- his brother is going to like. The Bible describes it as red. Uh, it des- describes red as Esau's life. But a- Esau sees this stew and he thinks to himself, this is a this is a hearty stew, this is a meaty stew, this is something that appeals. Uh, to my flesh right now this looks good I want this and so he demands but little does he realize that it's not going to be a meaty stew tragically it's going to be a vegan stew (laughs) there's no meat in it whatsoever it's just a bowl of lentils but Es- uh, Jacob has prepared this and Jacob knows that Esau is going to like this. Even though Esau is the hunter, you know what? Jacob's the hunter also. And uh, the, the, the hunter is going to be hunted. Jacob has set a trap. The heel grabber, is always two steps ahead of his brother. And so Esau says, let me have some of that red stuff with an animalistic nature. And Jacob says, sure, but sell me your birthright first. Jacob has done this on purpose. Jacob is the schemer. And uh, he knows what he is trying to accomplish. And so, sell me your birthright. What does that mean, birthright? You know, when we think of birthright, we think of inheritance, or will, or a trust, or having to deal with an attorney. And, uh, you know, we're in Genesis, in the book of Deuteronomy... Uh, Moses and the law codifies uh, the inheritance in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse, 20, verse 17. But the inheritance is around not now. The birthright is around now, and so most likely there this has been a custom in this culture. And so Jacob wants Esau's birthright. Now, we know from last week that the birthright is going to go to Jacob. But uh, that that transaction hasn't occurred lot yet in the life of the boys. And so, Jacob's trying to help God out. And uh, he wants Esau to sell his birthright. Um, but... What happens with this birthright? You know, Jacob is probably not being motivated by spiritual desires, the spiritual blessing that comes with the birthright now. I'm sure Jacob's motivation is the material gain that uh, he's going to receive. What happens with birthrights or uh, the inheritance, if if there's like four boys in the family, and uh, that the inheritance is to be shared after the passing of the the parents, Uh, that birthright will be divided five ways, okay? And so the oldest son will receive two parts of the inheritance where the others will just receive one part each. If it's divided five ways, if there's five boys, then it will be divided six ways. And the oldest would get the two parts and the other f- four children would get the, the other part. Um, and so this is the way it plays. But when there's only two boys, I mean, there's, there's more of a significant division. OK, uh, there's going to be a two thirds versus one third. Jacob understands this. Jacob sees this. And he wants his brother to sell his two-third portion to Jacob. And Esau doesn't care about um, the birthright. Esau just cares about his stomach, his desire to be fed. And so we see here that uh, Esau sells his birthright to his brother Jacob. Now, know this, that uh, both boys are living in the flesh at this point. You know, one's not better than the other. Uh, Jacob is being controlled by uh, material gain as well. And so neither of them are living according to the spirit, but are walking In the flesh. But it's just not the material gain that's significant about this birthright. This is a unique birthright according to the Word of God. This birthright is going to uh, accompany spiritual blessing. There is a spiritual component here. This is a family that has been chosen by God, and God is going to use this family to work out His salvation for all the world. Now the boys aren't look, looking at this at the moment. They're just looking at the material gain. But there is a promise that God made to Abraham that he was going to give Abraham a land and a people and be a blessing not just to Abraham, but a blessing to the whole world. That's this Birthright. That is what's behind this birthright. And Esau despises this birthright. He's willing to sell it for a bowl of stew. Now Jacob, he doesn't understand the spiritual blessing at this point. But there's going to be a time when he's going to understand this blessing. And he's going to wrestle with God. And he's going to say, God bless me. God's going to bless Esau. In fact, God's going to change Esau's name to Israel. He is, not Esau, Jacob. Jacob's name is going to be changed to Israel. He's going to be the father of Israel. But that's not what's going on in this this passage at the moment. But for Esau, his concern is entirely physical. I'm famished. I'm starved. I'm about to die. He says, what good is that birthright to me? And he just casually, carelessly says, fine, the birthright is yours. And he has the stew. And he eats it. And the Bible says in verse 30, let me eat some of the red stew for I'm exhausted. Therefore, the name was called Edom. Okay, we're, we're talking about red stew at this point and Esau is a red, hairy individual. The, the stew is red. And the, the name of the stew is called uh, Edom. And Edom is, um, is red as well. And that is the name that is given uh, the Edomites. And so here we see Jacob. We're going to learn this. Jacob is going to be the father of Israel. And Esau is going to be the father of the Edomites, the people who have rejected uh, the blessing, the people who have gone their own way. And as we look at the history of Israel and the Edomites, they are constantly at war. Uh, they are uh, people who have followed their ancestors, beginning with Esau and Jacob. The struggle will just continue, even continues uh, through today. And so here we see uh, Esau eating the stew, having no regard for um, his future or the spiritual inheritance. And, uh, you know, the boys are about, well, the boys are grown, but uh understand what they've grown up with so far. Their grandfather was Abraham. Now, Abraham died when he was 175 years years old. So the boys would have been 15 years old when Abraham passed away. But I want you to think about those opportunities that those boys had to hear their grandfather's stories, their grandfather's encounter with God. And what God had done through Abraham, the blessings that God had provided, not only Abraham, but in their dad, Isaac, and the miracle that took place in those lives. Those boys grew up on their grandfather's lap, on their dad's lap with all these God stories. And yet here they are as men, treating the birthright so flippantly. Total disregard for their spiritual inheritance. Living by the flesh and not by faith. Three things I want you to uh, think about as we consider responding to this text this morning. The first thing I want you to see is I want you to be amazed at God's indestructible promise. His indestructible promise. His indestructible destructible promise. This is a highly dysfunctional family. This isn't the family of Abraham who, who lived by faith. This isn't the family of Isaac who, who really wasn't like his father. But when it counted in Isaac's life, think about the time where Abraham and Isaac went up the mountain and Isaac was told to sacrifice his son Isaac and remember how obedient how submissive Isaac was as really a grown adult in going up that mountain and being obedient to his father and realizing that his father was about to sacrifice him but this was this was the nature, this was the character of Isaac. But we don't see that character necessarily in these boys. These, these boys at this time are living in the flesh, being controlled by the flesh, by being controlled by their own selfish desires. But understand that nothing is... Is going to thwart the promises of God. Not even earthly personalities. When it comes to Scripture, it's not about the people, it's about God, it's about Yahweh and what He is going to accomplish. I don't know about you. But I watch the news today, I, I watch what's going on around in the world today. <laughs> we read what's going on in this passage of Scripture this morning. And it appears as if the, the whole story, the world, is falling apart. But it's all according to God's plan. Don't allow CNN or Fox News to cause you to determine who God is and what he is up to. Nothing can thwart the promises of God. His plan is indestructible. In spite of a dysfunctional family, God is on His throne, and He is working out. He is going to accomplish His purposes. This is the story of the Bible, church. We can have great hope. The spring is not going to run dry. And as I preach this to you this morning, I am preaching to me. Because I can get on the news, and I can listen, watch what's going on. I can get really discouraged and really grumpy. And you know why? I've taken my my eyes off the ball. I've taken my eyes off the promises of God. And that His plan, His purposes are indestructible. The world wants to destroy it, but it is not going to be destroyed. So don't get lost in the characters. As despicable as they might be, the story is about God and what God is going to accomplish. I like Isaiah chapter 46, verses 3 and 4. God says, This, listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age. I am He. And to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made And I will bear, I will carry, and will save. That's our God. What God wants us to do is put our trust and our confidence and our hope and our future and our life into his hand. He carries each and every one of us who have committed our lives to him, he can be trusted. So number one, be amazed at God's indestructible promise. Number two, remember God's undeserved grace. You know, as we continue to look at the life of Jacob in particular, We're going to be annoyed by his life. He is a manipulative, calculating scoundrel. And you'll want to ask the question why in the world, God, did you choose Jacob? Why? But I hope. That when you wake up in the morning and you see yourself in the mirror that you ask yourself the same question. Why in the world, God, did you choose me? And the only answer, the only answer that you'll receive is because of his grace. There's nothing that we did or can do or will ever do that would have made God or will make God choose us. No. It's purely by His grace. And that ought to infuse God. Gratitude and praise and worship for all that he's done in our life. God didn't choose Jacob because he was better than Esau. Both boys are a mess. And it's only by God's grace that God chose Jacob. God says in Romans chapter 9 I will have mercy upon whom I have mercy and the pot the clay cannot tell the potter or question the potter why he has done the things that he has done it is purely by the grace of God that's how grace works so, my friend, don't question it. Don't gloat over it. Because we have nothing to gloat about. It's simply God's pure grace. And all we can do is fall on our knees and say, God, I don't deserve this. But in spite of who I am, thank you. For choosing me. Now the question is. How do you know. If you're chosen. If you believe. In the son of God. If you believe. In the lordship. Of Jesus Christ. If you have given your life to him. Guess what you're chosen. Because. Sinners don't pursue God. They are not thinking of God. But if you have a heart for God, if you want to live your life for Him, that's a great indication that you're jo- chosen. Walk before Him and be blameless. Blameless. Trusting, living a life of dependence on Him because of what He has done for you. So remember God's undeserved grace, be amazed at God's indestructible promise. And number three, guard yourself against trading eternal things for temporal things. Esau, he was focused on the here and now. Let that be a warning to all of us. Let's not live for the temporal. Let's live for the eternal. Esau became a representative a representative of all that reject God. Esau despised his birthright. Verse 34. He saw his his dad's life. He saw his grandfather's life. And he decided, that's not for me. I don't need that. And he chose the temporal over the eternal for a few bites of stew. And he lived to regret it. but not enough to repent. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is all about uh, those uh, those saints of the Old Testament that uh, lived a life of faith. This is God's uh, hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And um, beginning with verse 17, we read this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was, in fact, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. But here we see people who are living by faith. You know, as I said a moment ago, the world is a train wreck. And, you know, it's, it looks like it's falling apart at the seams. But people who are living and walking by faith do not panic because God. We know that God is on His throne. We live by sight and not. We live by faith and not by. Sight. And that's what we see these people in the Old Testament doing. This is what Scripture is encouraging you and I to do. And if you go to Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. God wants us to run this race with endurance. Not looking, not being obsessed with the things around us, the storms around us, but keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is who is going to keep us going. Walk by faith. Not focused on the temporal. And in verses 12 through 17, we see these words. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral, or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Esau reached. Esau regretted the decision that he had made with his brother Jacob. And with tears, he regretted that decision. But he never repented. He just always lived his life in the temporal, never considering the eternal. Don't settle for the here and now. The spiritual blessing was to go through the family of Isaac. And God chose Jacob for the blessing to continue. And that blessing continued for generations up to the person of Jesus Christ. And when people believe in Jesus Christ, not only are their personal lives blessed, they receive an eternal blessing, the the, the blessing of eternal life, but they're going to be a blessing to others who encounter Christ in their life. Esau was so close and yet so far away. He despised the blessing. He despised the inheritance. My friend, take the eternal seriously. Your life, your eternity. Depends on that. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? When you give your life to Him, that doesn't mean your life is just going to be smooth sailing and you're never going to have a problem in life. Guess what? The problems are just going to begin. (laughs) But they are opportunity for God to display His presence. his his sovereignty and his power and his peace and blessing in your life. Your life will be transformed and your life will be a blessing to others. God has richly blessed my wife and I's relationship. And he has given us. Four. Wonderful children. Who have married four. Wonderful people. And you know what? The blessing continues. Through the next generation. They all know Jesus. And uh, this weekend My. Wife Susan uh, got to go down to um, 29 Palms to see um, our grandson Fisher and his wife, um, Kelsey, Chelsea, Fisher's mom. mom. What did I say, Fisher's wife? (laughs) Uh, Fisher's mom. And Chelsea was telling Susan about uh, a friend she just had recently met in Langley. And uh, Chelsea's been really lonely in Langley. Um, and uh, she's, they live at, on Woodby Island, and uh, Kyle's a pastor of a church, and, uh, and it's just been difficult for the last year and a half. But uh, she took Fisher to the doctor here recently, and Chelsea saw another mom, Fisher, Fisher's age. She had a son, Fisher's age, and uh, mom was about the same age, and so they got to know each other. And um, Chelsea had hope that uh, maybe she would have a friend in in, uh, in Langley where they live. And a uh, wink went by or, or whatever, and, um, and uh, Chelsea was trying to get in touch with uh, this new mom that she had met and uh, having a hard time, uh, wasn't returning fo- phone calls, and she thought, well gosh, maybe I was ghosted by this uh, person I just mo- met and uh, uh, maybe it's not what it was meant to be. And um, and so finally, um, she answered the phone when Chelsea called and uh, found out that she wasn't ignoring her, but she had to tell her that, uh, you know, something that really bad that had happened in her life. Uh, her husband had just died a week earlier. Um, by a massive aneurysm um, with, with his heart. And, um, and this friend that she had met had nobody, no family. I don't get the impression that there was any kind of service because they didn't have any connections in, in Langley. And in fact, they did, didn't have any extended family. And this mom was all alone with this very young child. And um, Kyle and Chelsea have turned out to be a huge blessing in this young mom's life who has nobody. And they've been taking the time to... Stay have uh, weekly dinners together and to help her get through this. There being a blessing in somebody else's life and hopefully through this relationship, this young mom will come to know Jesus. Church, that's what God's people do. those whom Jesus has blessed, who has changed their life, now God wants to use to be a blessing in other people's lives, to bless the families of the world, to bless the nations of the world. This is God's plan. And nothing Is going to thwart that, and so we don't have to be panic when it looks like the world is falling apart at the seams, or we've got a dysfunctional family that just can't figure out how to work things out. Keep trusting God; He's there. He born you those children. He carries those children through the gray hairs of their life and your life. That's our God. Let's trust Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And the issues that this family, this imperfect family went through. And there are a lot of imperfect families in the Bible. There are a lot of imperfect people. But God, it's not about the people. It's about you and your grace, your purpose, and what you're going to accomplish. God, help us to walk by faith and not sight. Help us to choose the eternal over the temporal. And I thank you for the blessings that accompany those choices. Thank you, Father, for this time and your word this opportunity to worship. We give you this this time of decision-making now. Lord, I pray that you would bless it. If there's one here that needs to make a decision for Christ, if there's one here that needs prayer, Lord, I pray during this time of invitation, they will respond to your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?